This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And you guys, we need we need to talk about bananas. We really do. If you ever needed an example of politics and how it's involved in your food, this is it. It's this this one's really upsetting. I'm really upset about it. I'm not sure if I'm ever gonna eat bananas again. I'm like not exaggerating. But don't click away. <laughs> but don't, yeah. No, I mean, it's delightful. Uh, I mean, it's I'm, wonderful. It's good to be educated. It is. And a quick note right at the top. Oh, yeah. We are not talking about plantains. They are members of the banana family, but they are different and worthy of their own episode. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So let's let's embark on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's also some really fun information. There is. Yeah. So bananas, what are they? Well, according to Dan Koppel, who is the author of Banana, The Fate of the Fruit That Changed the World, very helpful in this research. Oh, yeah. The banana is, quote, one of the most intriguing organisms on Earth. First of all, its parent plant is an herb, but the banana itself is a berry. Botanically speaking, yeah. uh, when we say that something is a is a botanical berry, we mean that it's a fruit that does not have a stone in it that is made from a single flower. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plant's... The, the banana plants aren't trees, although they're sometimes called trees. They're, they're basically huge tubes of, of leaf stalks. New leaves sprout up out from the center, and as they get larger, the leaves, and start to flatten out and droop, the old ones forming the, the trunk kind of wither and fall. Uh-huh. The banana plant generally grows about three meters or ten feet tall, and it doesn't have a season for blooming the way that, like, apples do. They can flower any time of year. 
The flowers don't need to be fertilized. They are sterile. Yes. Uh, over the course of about nine months, they'll grow into a bunch or hand of up to 170 bananas. Yeah, that's quite a lot. Yeah, but they'll only do it once. Only one time. One time and that's it. After that, you have to grow a new plant if you want more bananas. And for this reason, the banana plant is a symbol in Buddhism of the ultimate uselessness of earthly things. Or <laughs> at least that's that's what I read in History of Food by Magalon Toussaint Samat, who I do not think is a Buddhist. And I had trouble confirming it with more direct sources. But it's a nice story, I guess. It reminds me of the spork. <laughs> the poetry about the spork and the ultimate right. uselessness of humanity. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Well, lots of useless foods and objects we talk about on the show. Apparently. Yeah. That's Keep listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, bananas do not have working seeds. Uh, you get a new banana plant by making a cutting of a shoot and, and planting that cutting. Bunches are harvested by hand, or generally by machete, more specifically. They're shipped green and very carefully kept at temperatures and humidities meant to prevent ripening until they are ready, like ready to go to the market. Mm -hmm. um, the ripening process is then triggered by a bath of ethylene gas, which is this compound produced by fruits as they ripen and can also trigger unripe fruits to start ripening. Like avocado. Like avocado. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. um, and the, the, the temperature then is also increased to about 60 to 62 degrees Fahrenheit. Very precise. That's a 15.6 to 16.7 degrees Celsius. This allows the fruit to begin to yellow just as it hits store shelves. Perfect. Yes. Love the specificity. Gotta oh, say. I know. Bananas, by the way, are the most popular fruit in the world. And yeah. they account for 75% of all tropical fruit trade. Yeah. But they are also a staple food in many places that grow them. Some 85% are actually grown to be consumed domestically. Yeah, which is one of the most surprising things to me. Um, and even though there are nearly a thousand types of bananas, 99% of bananas sold in the U.S. are the yellow Cavendish banana. And they account for over half of the bananas grown around the world. And apparently it's kind of um, seen <laughs> as a lesser banana, where bananas are more common, more commonly grown. In India, it's looked down upon as the hotel banana. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Mm -hmm. For those fancy people. Yeah. Uh, in terms of nutrition, bananas are a very calorie-dense food because they are so sugary, about 14, 14 grams of sugar apiece, which is more than a quarter of a can of Coke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um, a UK zoo banned them a few years back uh, from their primates' diets for fear of chunky monkeys. Lauren, <laughs> that was excellent. I'm sorry and or you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> An unharvested banana is about 1% fructose. But by the time it gets to the grocery shelves and the starches convert to sugars... It's about 80%. Oh. Yeah. Not too long after that, our old pal fermentation kicks in. In some African countries, this means banana wine or banana beer. Bananas are also, however, high in potassium and vitamin C and contain good stuff like fiber and electrolytes and antioxidants. And we, I think we've talked about this before, either yeah. in person or on the show, I can't remember. But diet and exercise enthusiasts are so divided about bananas. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, if, if you're watching your sugar, I'd say to probably avoid them. But otherwise, they're a good way to quell a craving for something sweet without turning to less healthy processed snacks. Yes. And here's an important question, Lauren. 
Are you peeling your bananas wrong? Probably. What? Yeah. Uh, as the internet was eager to tell us a couple years back, it is much easier to peel a banana from the side that doesn't have the stem on it, oh. which is how I've always done it. Cause, what? Really? Yeah. Oh no 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 the stem side. Oh, okay. I've always I was about to say. Side. Oh yeah. No no no. Uh, if you if you hold up the uh, the other end, the the nubby end, and kind of pinch that nub between your thumb and forefinger, it'll just come away and simultaneously split the banana's skin into sections. Oh. So it's easy. And plus, at that point, you can use the, the stem as a handle. That's handy. Uh, oh. Oh, I didn't even mean to. <laughs> Apart from being eaten as is in school lunches or at the end of races, bananas are used for all kinds of things. Banana bread, banana pudding, bananas fosters, banana split, banana ice cream, banana pancakes. Man, I had this banana curry in India that was so good. And oh. I would have never thought to have put banana in curry, but... Oh, no, I believe you. I want that now. Immigrants arriving to Ellis Island were once handed bananas. I know. According to PBS, you can use a banana peel to help loosen a splinter, get rid of ink stains, mitigate insect bites, or stop a scratched disc from skipping. Hmm. Celebrities like Jay Leno and Ronald Reagan used to be members of the International Banana Club. (laughs) Which had 38,000 due-paying members what? from 27 countries. Oh, my goodness. And when you joined, you got the option to pick a banana-themed nickname. Oh. I want to know so much more. Oh, okay. But there's no time. Yeah, I've had a whole other episode, clearly. <laughs> there's also a cryptocurrency, you know, like Bitcoin, the value of which is tied to the value of a kilogram of bananas on the international market. <laughs> of course there is. It's called Banana Coin. <laughs> How have I not heard of banana coin? <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk about currency economics. Um, bananas pack a serious punch. Daniel Stone at National Geographic put it this way. If fruits were pop stars, the banana would be Beyonce. They are the fourth most monetarily valuable food in the world, behind only wheat, rice, and milk. Yeah. Chiquita, a company name I'm guessing you recognize, is the largest producer of bananas. As of 2014, the export of bananas made $8.9 billion in commercial sales in U.S. dollars. If you include non-exports and plantains, that number is $44.1 billion. The the two largest growers of bananas, China and India, making up 35% of banana and plantain yields, don't export hardly any at all, but consume them within their own borders. Ecuador is the largest exporter of bananas, and 17 million tons, most of which are Cavendish, are exported globally every year. They are the single most purchased item at American Walmarts. That is stunning to me. I guess I don't know what else... Bread. I don't, I don't know. Bread sure. or milk. Yeah. Oh. Uh, one place that you will not find bananas is on crab boats. Really? There is such a wide anti-banana superstition that some crabbing crews even prohibit banana boat sunscreen and Banana Republic clothing. No one is entirely sure how this got started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The United Nations Conference on Trade and Development reports that 400 million people depend on bananas as their primary caloric provider. In some African countries, people eat an average of 500 pounds of bananas a year. Near Lake Victoria, the Swahili word for food might also translate to banana. They are one of the most important crops for about 10 countries. A lot of people depend on the banana for their livelihood, 
or as a food source that keeps them alive. That's what makes this next part so... So extra scary. Yeah. So we we need to talk about the upcoming banana apocalypse. Yeah, we really do. You've probably seen not-so-great headlines like these. Banana apocalypse, the race to save the world's most popular fruit from the Washington Post, CNN's Why Bananas as We Know Them Right Now Going Extinct Again, um, has the end of the banana arrived from popular science. And what they're referring to is a fungus called Fusarium wilt, a.k.a. the Panama disease. And this stuff is no joke. It, it attacks the roots of banana plants, and the spores can survive for decades in the ground, meaning it can stick to boots or anything else that comes in contact with infected soil and easily spread that way. The incubation period is two to three years, too, so you might not even know you've got a problem oh. until it's too late. The first strain, race one, as it was called, pretty much wiped out the Gros Michel, a.k.a. Big Mike type of banana, which until 1965 was the most exported type of banana. There was even a song about this called Yes, We Have No Bananas. It's very upbeat, <laughs> um, penned in 1923. The less flavorful, I guess, I've never tried one. Uh, oh, no, I have tried a Cavendish. I have never tried a Gros Michel. The Cavendish is said to be less flavorful than hmm. Big Mike Gromichel due to its resistance to race one. It's not less flavorful because that, of that, no. but, but it well, replaced it. Well, we don't it know. Because, yeah. Yeah, it replaced it because it was um, immune. Or, yeah, immune to that version of the strain or that strain right. of the fungus. But Cavendish bananas are not immune to the current strain of Panama disease, race four. Race four was first isolated in Malaysia in 1989. Over 10,000 hectares of Cavendish bananas have been destroyed, particularly in Australia and Southeast Asia, because of this. Africa and the Middle East saw the first cases of it in 2013, and researchers believe Latin America, where most exported bananas are grown, is next. There's no cure for it, and it's very difficult to isolate. Cavendish bananas aren't the only variety at risk either. Race 4 could take out up to 85% of banana and plantain production. If y'all have ever played the the board game Pandemic, uh, the the contagion map for race 4 kind of looks like that. Specifically, it looks like everyone is having a really bad time playing. It does. It looks like... I love this game, by the way. If you haven't played it, get it. Oh, it's so good, yeah. It looks like right when you draw the... You're already in a bad spot, and you draw the epidemic card. Oh, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, and part of the problem here is that most domesticated bananas, because of the way they're reproduced, are clones, meaning they're all susceptible to the same things. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's why that's why any two bananas look so remarkably alike and taste so remarkably alike. One of the articles I was reading, and I wish I could remember which one it was to give the writer proper credit, uh, related them to like McDonald's hamburgers. Yeah, the Big Mac. Yeah. I saw that too. Oh. Um, in 2017, scientists planted genetically modified Cavendish bananas in a place called Humpty Doo in Australia's Northern Territory. Heck yeah, Australia. Yeah. Others are trying to crossbreed to make a hybrid, but the Cavendish is pretty much sterile. So it makes things difficult. Mm-hmm. And there are other projects out there to promote alternate banana types that might be more resistant. The aforementioned banana coin is actually a crowdfunding project to develop the ladyfinger variety in Laos for sale in China. But it's hard to get alternatives going because Cavendish bananas are so mass-produced and so cheap. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. (laughs) 
How did we get here? How did we get to a world that we got one single type of banana for most everybody? That's what you know. Um, and it's in danger. <laughs> we'll talk about it and more politics than we ever imagined. Oh, yeah. After a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Bananas are one of the first foodstuffs we humans cultivated. If we want to go way, 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 way back, some scholars think that it was a banana, not an apple, that Eve accepted in the Garden of Eden. It has to do with the height of a human and the banana leaves being the right size to cover your <laughs> genitals <laughs> and other things. But that was the two I remember. All right. Um, oh, I like it. They were probably first grown in Southeast Asia, possibly more for the practical uses of the peels and the leaves. Recent archaeological evidence discovered in Papua New Guinea dates the oldest known banana to 5000 BCE, and perhaps even further back than that. The first written mention of the fruit is from India in 500 BCE, and we can infer from these records that bananas were grown similarly at the time as we grow them today. By cloning. Well, um, we can also infer that bananas might have been around in India as far back as 3000 BCE. When Alexander the Great returned to Europe from India in 327 BCE, he brought with him bananas. That might be why when our old pal Pliny 
The elder wrote about them in 50 CE. He said they were most likely native to India. Ah. Mm-hmm. Between 63 to 14 BCE, Roman Emperor Octavius Augustus's personal physician, Antonius Musa, was a vocal supporter for growing bananas. Musa. Yes. Huh. They're in that genus. That's, that's genus, the, yeah, that's the, the genus of, of banana. Bananas were brought to Africa in 650 CE by Middle Eastern traders and armies. Probably. There's some dispute about this. Um, it is christened banan, a derivation of the Arabic word for finger. It's around this time that the banana got swept up in the growing slave trade between northern and central Africa and Arab nations. After all, they are a calorie-dense food, which makes them a really good staple. Yeah. But that was all by land, and bananas do not travel well. Skip ahead to the 1500s, and Spain and Portugal are well-oiled machines of exploration and exploitation. <laughs> they had found water routes to India, China, and the Americas, and although these water routes didn't speed trade enough to get like a fresh African banana into Lisbon in a timely manner, uh, they were introducing staple and cash crops into all of these new territories as they colonized. Their efforts with bananas in the Americas, starting with the Canary Islands in the early 1400s, were so successful that some contemporary travelers and explorers claimed that the fruit was native. Wow. They'd, uh, they'd spread thus throughout uh, Middle and South America and the Caribbean. Yes, and including to England, I suppose, because in 1834, the sixth Duke of Devonshire, William Cavendish, uh, got a shipment of a certain banana he really liked. Yeah, it was the one that would become known as the Cavendish. Huh. Uh, he had his gardener start to cultivate them in their greenhouses. Along comes businessman Henry Meggs in 1849, moving from the east coast of the U.S. to San Francisco to get, on, get in on that gold rush action. He had an idea to build a huge canning complex and a dock, which he did. However, he didn't pay any of his huh. investors back, which, as you can imagine... Annoyed them a little bit. <laughs> he was chased out of the country, eventually ending up in Chile. Oh, and that canning and dock complex, by the way, was later renamed from Meg's Wharf to Fisherman's Wharf. In San Francisco? Yes. Wait, what? Yes. That's one of my favorite kind of unrelated facts of the episode. Bananas. Okay. All right. Yeah. Meg's eventually ended up in Chile, as I said, and he built the country's first railroad. Then he moved to Peru and put down 1,200 miles or about 1,900 kilometers of track. And this made him quite wealthy and sort of like a monarch in the country under his new name, Don Enrique. Hmm. And he also had a nephew. This nephew, a miner, Copper Keith, gets a job with his uncle developing a railroad in Costa Rica. The conditions were terrible, and over 5,000 of his workers died, and it would take 20 years to complete, and it was a total failure of a passenger train once it was completed. Ugh. But back near the beginning of the project, Keith had started planting bananas in cleared areas around the tracks, which he sold for cheap to his workers. And once the track was complete, he had this quick way to get those bananas from these farms inland out to the ports uh, uh, on the edges of the island for shipment to America. Mm -hmm. So he started doing that. Meanwhile, in 1870, one Captain Lorenzo Dow Baker started the first American banana craze when he brought 160 bunches of Gros Michel bananas from Jamaica to Jersey City and sold them for two bucks per bunch. I looked it up. That's like 35 bucks in today's money. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 
They were a pop fad and considered a delicacy. Ooh. Americans get their first wide-scale exposure to the banana at Philadelphia's 1876 World's Fair. And starting in the 1880s, banana recipes started proliferating in American cookbooks, both banana and banana flavorings, and including banana pudding. I went on a nice rabbit hole about that. It appeared in this 1887 joke. Gourmets are sitting at a table. One of them says... This banana pudding is exquisite. It tastes just like strawberries. And then the other one says, And this strawberry shortcake is superb. One would think it was made of bananas. It's a real knee slapper. (laughs) However, refined Victorians might be too ruffled by the suggestive shape to purchase a banana, causing some merchants to wrap up banana slices in foil and sell it that way. Amidst all of this popularity, Captain Baker and a few entrepreneurs got the idea to capitalize on banana, banana madness. And so he teamed up with one Andrew Preston to form the Boston Fruit Company in 1885. Uh, They were importers of exotic tropical fruits. In 1892, a Russian immigrant named Samuel Zamuri, actually he changed his name to that, but um, he moved to Alabama where he saw his first banana. He noticed that the Boston Fruit Company was tossing loads of them out. At the time, because of how long it took to move things places, the rule was a banana with one freckle was turning and could be okay. But two freckles? Oh, no. Forget nope. it. It was ripe and it never survived the trip to the store. But Zamuri had an idea on a way to sell these ripe bananas destined for garbage. What he did was he bought all of them up. He rented some space on the Illinois Central Railroad, Railroad train loaded it up with his banana purchase, and he used the train telegrapher and conductor to get a message to grocery store owners Ah. who would meet the train. What? Yeah, and buy some of the bananas. He he was working against the clock, selling ripe bananas out of a slow-moving train. This wasn't his last foray into the banana business. Oh, no. We'll Mm. be coming back to him. Oh, yes. Yeah. In 1894, in part due to the influence of the banana companies, the American military intervenes in Nicaragua to prevent land and labor reforms. Mm. And this is the first of over 30 instances. Some will discuss further the U.S. government would step in to situations that might have impacted the banana companies, sometimes at the behest of the the banana. banana companies. Yep. Yeah. Um, Up until 1899, most bananas were found in fancy hotels and came with peeling instructions. (laughs) An article covering that very topic, how to peel a banana, appeared in Scientific American that same year. Here's how they told you to do it. (laughs) The fruit is peeled by slitting the skin longitudinally and giving it a rotary motion with the hands. The peel, having been thus detached, the fruit is cut into thin, transverse slices, which are dried in the sun or in a furnace. It's very complicated. I don't... I'm still trying to figure out... It's... I think it's a twist and... I don't know. Okay. We're making a lot of hand gestures that aren't working. No. Um, Bananas started popping up in all the cities all over North America and Europe, allegedly thanks in part to a man some call the French Johnny Appleseed, Nicolas Baudin, who planted banana stems on the Caribbean islands. A year later, in 1900, Americans devoured over a million banana bunches. 
Also in 1899, though, these three Sicilian brothers in New Orleans, uh, the Vaccaros brothers, began importing bananas into New Orleans, starting a competing business to these already existing ones. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, uh, Minor Keith's Costa Rican banana business was succeeding, but his investment business took a huge hit when his bank filed for bankruptcy. He loses $1.5 million overnight. So he arranges a merger with his biggest competitors, the Boston Fruit Company. Oh. So in 1899, they form the United Fruit Company and immediately begin acquiring other growers and distributors. Their transportation was so quick and reliable that in 1901, the government of Guatemala hired them to run the National Post Service. And just three years later, Guatemala contracted the company to construct and maintain the nation's main rail line for 99 years. Wow. It was a dictator in Guatemala at the time, and I feel like there was probably bribery involved. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, so so they, they were building the, the this United Fruit Company um, out of the Boston Fruit Company and Minor Keith had this 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 land, these railways, these ships, these bananas, and these amazing profits. Yeah. I feel like United Fruit Company is just a shadow that hangs over this entire episode. Yeah. Oh, um, somewhere around in here, they also create a subsidiary called the Fruit Dispatch Company for uh, transportation research and development and also marketing. I'm having trouble tracking down an exact an exact date, but it definitely happened. And to transport their bananas, they used the United Fruit Company Steamship Service. These boats were painted white to reflect the sun and help the fruit last longer, mostly bananas. Um, so they also went by the Great White Fleet and also banana boats. Hmm. Pa- Panama Disease Race 1 first shows up in, you guessed it, Panama in 1903. It In only five years, it decimated the entire banana crop in Suriname. Wherever the disease struck, United Fruit picked up and moved somewhere else in Latin America. But everywhere they went, the disease seemed to follow. Uh, Like, no matter how many incredibly toxic pesticides they spread, which they definitely did. Uh, But beyond this mysterious banana disease, they also brought with them local disaster. Uh, Mindful of profits over propriety, they were in a business of bullying. They They would buy up land tear down the natural habitat to build plantations, essentially force the people who lived there into these low-wage indentured servitudes and uh, suppress any labor movements that would come up violently, if necessary. Latin Americans would come to refer to this company as El Popo, the octopus. The octopus. Yeah. Okay, so (laughs) that brings us to United Fruit, big player in this. Um... We're going to be talking more about how they impacted bananas and politics. But first, but first, we're going to take a quick breather for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay. This brings us to the term Banana Republic. Yes, it's not just an overpriced clothing brand. No, it's not. Uh, It refers to the power in this context banana producers wielded in the 20th century, and it was coined in 1904 by O. Henry in his novel Cabbages and Kings. On a lighter note, (laughs) this is also when the banana split was invented. Oh, 1904? Oh, in the middle of all of that amazing Victorian uh, ice cream counterculture. Exactly. Um, This is where it was invented in Pennsylvania, anyway. People like to fight about who the real creator is and what a real banana split is. You know how people are. (laughs) Um, and remembers a Murray, our industrious train banana salesman. Oh, right. In 1910, he purchased 5,000 acres of land in Honduras for banana plantations. Slight catch, though. After he'd already made his purchase, he finds out the president of Honduras isn't on board with the concessions he was counting on, mostly around taxes, land, and transportation. Oh, so, so what do you do? Do you pack up and move to another country? No. You organize a military coup. Oh. Right, obviously. Clearly. Um, Two dudes, Lee Christmas and Guy Machine Gun Maloney, snuck past U.S. agents on a single small ship with a single box of arms, and in a few weeks after their arrival, the government collapses. What? Zamuri gets everything he asked for from the newly installed president, and the Hubbard Zamuri Company sets up shop in the country. Ooh. That same year, Costa Rica opened the first lab studying banana genetics. Instead of focusing on coming up with better bananas, though, they instead decided to go the pesticide, fungicide, chemical route. Mm. To keep bananas nice and cold on ships, the Vaccaros's company purchases most of the ice factories in New Orleans in 1915, huh. earning Brother Joseph the nickname Ice King long before Adventure Time. <laughs> A year later, the Great White Fleet was dry-docked for a short period after a super-fascinating historical dude, Count Felix von Luckner, sunk some of its ships. Huh. Yeah. More about—oh, now I want to know about him. Oh, okay. I 
I had to look him up. It was very interesting. Anyway, in 1912, the U.S. government steps in to stop a rebellion against the Honduran government, allegedly to protect American banana workers. Allegedly. In 1915, the U.S. Army invades Haiti, then the Dominican Republic in 1916, and Cuba in 1917, where they stayed till 1933, Panama in 1918, Honduras in 1919, for the presidential elections, oh. and Guatemala in 1920 in a two-week skirmish with Unionists. In 1924 and 1925, the U.S. Army intervened in the elections in Honduras and in the striking in Panama, respectively. Huh. Yeah. In 1924, uh, that was the same year that United Fruit hired doctors to endorse mashed bananas as baby food. Okay. And Dr. Sidney Haas publicly advocated bananas as a curative for children with celiac disease. They also launched what they called the Home Economics Department with the goal of familiarizing housewives with the fruit and getting images of bananas in textbooks. Oh. Yeah. They provided schools with a lot of free textbooks that dedicated a lot to the banana. Over 15 million pieces of literature around the world by 1955. A campaign that included coupons for bananas on cereal boxes put banana in the breakfast category, especially as a cereal topping for the first time. And this was the first instance of a coupon coming packaged with another product. A couple of years later, United Fruits debuted dried banana chips, and Panama disease spread to New Zealand, Australia, China, India, and the Canary Islands. Huh. Yeah. A 1928 crackdown by United Fruit on striking workers in Colombia was the inspiration behind the Banana Company and its massacre in the novel 100 Years of Solitude. United Fruit funded U.S.-trained vigilante squads that turned their machine guns on a crowd, protesting crowd, to end the strike. The incident was covered up, and to this day, we're not sure how many people died. An estimate from United Fruits posits about 1,000, but you mm. know they're probably lowballing it. Oh, sure. To this day, the skirmishes between the right-wing leftovers of those squads and left-wing gangs that Columbia, Columbia is still dealing with that. And the Justice Department revealed in 2007 that Chiquita had spent more than $1.7 million funding the right-wing terrorist group AUC in Colombia under the guise of security between 1997 and 2004. Oh. And the AUC handles a large part of Colombia's cocaine exports. Chiquita was fined $25 million. Oh. Mm-hmm. Chiquita is the uh, brand name that United Fruit would become later right. on. Yes. Also in the 20s, United Fruit launched a marketing campaign slash tour service on their banana boats, uh-huh. um, these these luxury cruise compartments and tours of very carefully staged plantation scenery. Yeah. Um, and the these cruise, luxury cruises, um, what are one of the big pushes that led tourism in these countries. And the slogan of their cruise line was, where the pirates hid their gold. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Huh. Uh, and and it was it was all just incredibly profitable. By the late 1920s, United Fruit United Fruit had 67,000 workers in 32 countries and 1.6 million acres of land. They were worth over 100 million dollars. And in 1929, they bought Zamuri out. 
in exchange for over $31 million in United Fruit stocks, making him the biggest shareholder. Oof. By 1930, the ripening room that we discussed earlier in the show had been developed to help with product quality control. Banana workers go on strike in Honduras in 1932. The strikers are fired and the leader of the movement is assassinated. The U.S. intervened in El Salvador later that year as well. In 1944, the Chiquita brand name debuts, and uh, they were riding off the popularity of Carmen Miranda's banana dances. The Chiquita Banana slogan came out the following year in a movie called Miss Chiquita Banana's Beauty Treatment. That's the first time you heard the slogan. Um, The whole thing, this objectifying of Latina women is, I don't have to tell you, but it's quite problematic. And Mm -hmm. we did a whole episode on it for Stuff Mom Never Told You, if you would like to look it up. Pablo Neruda's 1950 book of 350 poems, Canto General, had a whole chapter about United Fruit and the devastation they caused. Um, and here's a little, a little piece, a little taste. The United Fruit Company reserved for itself the most juicy place, the central coast of my world, the delicate waste of America. It rebaptized these countries' banana republics and over the sleeping dead... Over the unquiet heroes who won greatness, liberty, and banners, it abolished free will, gave out imperial crowns, encouraged envy, attracted the dictatorship of flies, flies sticky with with submissive blood and marmalade, drunken flies that buzz over the tombs of the people, circus flies, wise flies expert at tyranny, a corpse rolls, a thing without a name, a discarded number, a bunch of rotten fruit thrown on the garbage heap. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Pablo Neruda. Yep. Um, well, Zamuri, the banana man, as he's sometimes known, retired in 1951. That same year, Guatemala becomes the first Central American country to democratically elect a leader, Jacobo Arbenz. United Fruit is not a fan. His campaign included banana workers' rights. Oh. And they start looking for a way to, quote, solve the problem, he presents. Their solution was propelled by purportedly retired Zamuri, who backed the publication of Report on Guatemala, a book that claimed Arbenz was, quote, under Moscow's control. Oh. Yeah, this was, you know, Cold War. During the height of the anti-communism. Yes. Every member of Congress received a copy, and now they see a, quote, crisis that threatens U.S. interest. President Truman okays the CIA to act in Guatemala. The U.S. backs Colonel Carlos Castillo in the Liberation War Against Communism, as proponents called it. Castillo used U.S. bases in Nicaragua to force Arbenz into exile and drop the legal actions he'd been supporting against United Fruit. The whole thing influenced Ernesto Guevara, Elche, to believe revolutions in Latin America would only succeed through violence. Castillo's U.S.-recognized government set up a national committee of defense against communism to weed out any remaining Arbonne supporters. Oh. This was called Operation Success. 200,000 Guatemalans died. Oh, okay. Um, In 1953, we see the first commercial Cavendish bananas introduced by Standard Fruit. Uh, A decade later, they were pretty much the norm. 
Because they were more delicate than their predecessor, uh, Gros Michel, new best practices when it came to handling and boxing were implemented. And this led to marketing innovations like stickers on each banana and ways to track bananas that eventually led to the barcodes we use today. Yeah, a lot of the, the banana shipping industry has turned into market, like, like supermarket-wide right. practices. Mm-hmm. Harry Belafonte's recording of the Banana Boat Song, Deo, premiered in 1955. It was a traditional Jamaican call and response song, so it had been around a while, um, about banana workers and, you know, wanting to go home. Mm-hmm. Bananas Foster was invented at Brennan's in New Orleans in 1951. In 1960, Chiquita opens a banana research center in Honduras, helmed by Phil Rowe. Rowe would go on to become the most prolific breeder of new banana species. Um, he was a big advocate for it, including the hybrid goldfinger. After Fidel Castro took control of Cuban banana plantations, the banana companies allowed the CIA's use of their freighters in the unsuccessful Bay of Pigs invasion. Oh. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Vaccaro Brothers Company was still kicking around. It had started operating under the name Standard Fruit, a little bit earlier in the century, and in 1964, it did some further rebranding, changing the company name to Dole. That Dole? That Dole! <laughs> Whatever Dole would it be. In 1967, Chiquita printed over 90,000 recipe cards for the previously unheard of banana and peanut butter sandwiches. Wow, before 19... 19- okay. Yeah. Oh. Perhaps in part due to this, global banana consumption reached 4 billion pounds in 1968. And after taking over as chairman of United Fruit in the 1970s, Eli M. Black realized that the banana was not as big of a moneymaker as he believed it to be. Hmm. United Fruit had spun up a lot of debt. And when Hurricane Fifi hit in 1974, um, taking out a significant chunk of United Fruit's Honduran banana farms, Black sold the business. However... The Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC in the U.S., wasn't done with him yet. A year later, they produced evidence of an attempted $2.5 million bribe Black offered the president of Honduras to lower taxes on banana exports. After the accusation surfaced, Black killed himself by jumping out of his office, which was located on the 43rd or 4th floor. Um, United Fruit pleaded guilty to bribery in 1978 and pays a $14,000 fine. Only only Mm $14,000? Sure. In the 1980s, the banana industry planted Cavendish bananas in Malaysia, which may have inadvertently um, been a huge favor to Panama Disease Race 4. Malaysia is where the disease originated. In 1985, this Belgian research organization, Biodiversity International, began collecting and distributing banana germ cells from various species. And then they would form the Musa Germplasm Transit Center in 1987. The organization is still around and now has a collection of more than 1,500 species of banana in, like, growth-viable samples. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, in the 90s, United Fruit attempted to kind of clean up its image by rebranding as Chiquita Brands International. And they also used significant political contributions to, influ- to influence international trade policies. Some European governments were placing these really heavy tariffs on bananas from the Americas to help keep plantations and trade in their own former colonies in Africa and the East afloat. 
you know, were more of their own influential citizens had financial interests. Time magazine later reported that the CEO of Chiquita dispensed so much cash to politicians here in America that the Clinton administration was ready to mount a global trade war on his behalf. This wouldn't be resolved until 2001, and Chiquita would sue the EU over these tariffs. <laughs> More investigation by the press would lead to a 1998 Cincinnati Inquirer expose on Chiquita's use of worker rights repression, uh, harmful pesticides, bribery, and all kinds of nasty political dealings in Honduras and Colombia. The company would never challenge the facts, but this still causes a huge mess. Uh, the, the company's shareholders sued the company for losses. The company sues the newspaper for maybe illegally obtaining answering machine tapes. The The court forces the paper to fire the reporters and apologize. Yeah, they had to fire the reporters. <sighs> Phil Rowe, the guy we mentioned earlier who invented the Goldfinger banana in Honduras, hung himself in his banana fields in 2001. Oh. Um, in 2003, a genetic research lab focused on bananas opened in Uganda, looking to build a better g- banana, genetically mm-hmm. speaking. And in 2007, Dole was sued by a workers' rights group and wound up paying out $2.5 million. Yes, and they are now suing... Uh, the makers of the documentary called Bananas for Defamation. Oh. Yes. And Chiquita allegedly has a secret lab where they won't tell anybody that they're working on what. Yeah. So supposedly there's, oh, goodness, I forget where it's supposed to be. But yeah, Costa Rica, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway. it's Maybe it's Jurassic Park. Oh, I don't know. Jurassic Park of Bananas. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, that is. So yeah, there we go. Hey, hey, we get. Hey, we 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 got through that. We did. Yeah. And um, it's a lot. We had to edit out a lot. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that gives you kind of a good overview of banana history. Of the banana history, and uh, you know, kind of leading into where it is today. I, I, I don't believe from what I've read that conditions have necessarily improved. No. No, but hopefully, um, knowing is at least half part of the battle. So. Yeah, and hey, you can make a really good uh, quick quick bread, fruit based quick bread from ripe pears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Yeah, you no more banana bread. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, well we got to do the research on pears. Oh no! <laughs> oh, Annie. But I have um, a beat thing to end on. Oh yeah. Um, so I was curious about some banana sayings and banana humor uh the first being that's bananas and the context meaning crazy right um okay so in 1935 alvin j pollock published the underworld speaks which was a book meant to help the fbi agents pick out gangsters by their speech patterns word choice all that jazz it includes this definition for it's bananas he's sexually perverted a degenerate Historians think this might be because of the bent shape of bananas. Okay. And bent itself was slang for illegal or stolen at the time. Okay. This slang definition, meaning crazy, seems to have been coined in the 60s, but really took off in the 70s. This could either be a reference to banana oil, which was a slang term for the from the 1920s, meaning nonsense or persuasive talk like snake oil. Or it may have been a take on go ape. Huh. Um, it also could have been from British soldier slang out of the early 1900s, meaning spoiled or rotten. Oh. Huh. Yeah. 
top banana, meaning the leader of an organization or group. Um, this phrase originated in the early 1900s and applied specifically to comedians. Hmm. Legend has it that it's a reference to burlesque comedian Frank Leibowitz, whose show included handing out a banana to the leading performer after a punchline. Huh. This act was so well known, by the 1950s, the term took on the more general meaning and spawned second banana, meaning supporting actor or comedian. Huh. Which is a great segue into our next bit. Banana humor. Banana b- Bananas are, I mean, aside from all of the literal facts about them, intrinsically hilarious. <laughs> yes. They're, they're the source of a lot of jokes and um, a lot of cursing on my end while playing Mario Kart 64. <laughs> uh, the first instance of some poor sod slipping on a banana peel that we know of is in the 1917 silent film The Flirt. For maximum hilarity, it was a waiter carrying a tray of food. Mm. And he got fired immediately. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sesame Street's banana phone debuted in 1969. A banana stuck in the tailpipe of a police car was a joke in 1984's Beverly Hills Cops. The banana stand from the Arrested Development. Oh, there's always money in the banana stand. Yeah. And I'm a banana came out in 2009. I'm not going to explain it. But to those of you that know what I'm talking about, there you go. I didn't know what it was, but it was included. And I looked it up and I'm like, why is this a thing? <laughs> Nonetheless, it is a thing. Uh, I, I'll have to look it up myself later. Or don't. Or don't. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, excellent. Yes. Perfect. That is our banana episode. Yeah. Highly requested. I hope that um, – I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, in some way. Uh, I, hope, I, hope it, I hope it taught you many things about America, imperialism, and industry. Which actually – this is a great segue into our first listener mail. Yay! Frequent writer Gail sent us this note about garlic. I watched an episode in a new Netflix documentary series called Rotten. This particular episode that I watched was about garlic and how in China, some companies force prisoners to do nothing but peel garlic for long hours every single day. Some of the prisoners had lost their fingernails. I didn't quite understand that. It had something to do with how they hand-peeled the garlic without any oh. protective equipment like gloves, etc. And they would peel garlic with their teeth. I was totally grossed out by this, and I'm skeptical now of peeled garlic you find in jars in the stores. I'm only using fresh garlic straight from the bulb from now on. That did pop up in my feed, like, right after we did this, the garlic episode. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. Me neither. But, um... Definitely worth looking into. Yeah, and definitely someone on Instagram, I don't think it was Gail, uh, also recommended that episode. So Okay. Yeah. This other one is from another frequent writer, Jenny, about our McDonald's episode. I studied for a semester in Moscow in 1993. I was living in a dormitory on the outskirts of town, and we only learned upon arrival that there was no cafeteria. Instead, we had a poorly equipped kitchen on our floor, and we had to fend for ourselves, which I guess led us to have the full experience of living in Russia. The McDonald's near the Kremlin was a 40-minute metro ride away, and my classmates and I would visit it at least once a week for the meat. Seriously, none of us were really able to cook meat. We had heard that McDonald's had set up a big farm outside of Moscow to supply the McDonald's, which was why the food there tasted so much more delicious and fresh than the McDonald's at home. Whether it really tasted better or whether homesickness tricked us into thinking this, I do not know. What I do know is that this McDonald's had a very different vibe from the ones in the U.S. First, it was huge, clean, and probably had more than a dozen cashier stations. 
People showed up there to eat in their finest clothes, and it was really expensive. During the fall of 1993, inflation was crazy in Russia. When I arrived in September, one U.S. dollar was equal to about 1,000 rubles. When I left in December, a dollar equaled around 5,000 rubles. I took $500 cash with me to Russia as spending money for food, travel, incidentals, and even with the lack of a cafeteria in my dormitory, I still left the country with money and a suitcase full of souvenirs, if that gives you an idea of the state of the economy. If memory serves, a Big Mac was around 1,000 rubles. Super cheap for me, but super expensive for the average Russian. I have never really had an urge to return to Russia, however. I still occasionally crave those specific burgers and milkshakes. And also, uh, shout out to Ren. A listener sent us in um, photos of the Hamburg University yeah. and McDonald's, and we're going to post them. They're awesome. All They're of amazing. this amazing artwork that, that's in there. Oh, I can't wait. So weird. Yeah, yeah. We'll, so cool. we'll, we'll figure out where to – probably Facebook maybe. Yeah. Yes. So thanks to Rin and Jenny and Gail and all the other listeners who have sent us messages. And you can send us a message too. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media like Facebook. On Facebook and Twitter, we are at – Foodstuff HSW. Over on Instagram, we're at Foodstuff. We hope to hear from you. Thank you so much to our our sit-in recorder, Paul. Uh, also, our producer, Dylan Fagan. And we hope lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.